0: Good morning. Welcome to the stage, David and Jennifer Rocco. It's pretty unenthusiastic. Come on, one more time. Uh, There you go. So, Jennifer, why don't you tell everybody what you do here at Grace just because it's a free chance to uh, get a plug in for promotional purposes? It really Is it really on? It's a green you want to hand us the mic? Always something with Jennifer, always. <laughs> <laughs> That's on.
1: Okay, can you hear me? Okay. Ah. I work for Children's Ministries, and we always need help. We always need teachers. We always need people that can be in there with our kids, so come see me. <laughs> come see me. Yay!
0: Yay. <laughs> Someone who worked in toddlers today over there. So um, how long have you guys been coming to Grace? About 21 years. 21 years. Mm-hmm. And why did you start coming to Grace? I wanted to ask him one question. I didn't ask him first. I was just throwing for a loop. Well, what made you start coming here?
1: I think we, at the time, we were at another church, and it was very legalistic. And this church, we had visited a few times, and it, people were real here, and we liked that. And That's cool. we like to be real, so.
0: Like to be real, yeah, cool. So the reason I invited uh, the Rockos up is because they've been on a little bit of a journey with Alpha, and I wanted them to share um, a bit of that journey. So, David, when you first heard about uh, Alpha, how'd you feel? What were, you were just just yeah, let everybody know. Goes, be honest. Oh, awesome! This is
2: great. So I, uh, w- we had just caught off the heels of the uh, uh, curtain study. Which was the every week type of thing, and it was really great, and we, the group, I think, would attest to that as well. Um, but the thought of another study that was every week for a thousand weeks was really daunting to us, and so uh, <laughs> we, um, yeah, we were a little apprehensive, and uh, honestly, I think there's probably still a little bit of angst because we're not, and you know, we don't have everything buttoned up and tied down about what we're actually going to do with the group and uh, so so
0: a little rebellious maybe
2: we're always a a little rebellious yeah yeah
0: so something shifted why don't you share a little bit about like something along the way started to change in your heart
1: well I think first when I when I heard that we were doing Alpha I was I was pretty annoyed, actually. I was very annoyed. I was like, really? And she she works here. Yeah. I was thinking, who thinks, not anymore, I don't. (laughs) Um, um, Who thinks up this stuff? I mean, don't they ever, you know, talk to us or whatever? But then I saw the video, the first video, and it made me cry, which I was also annoyed about. Um, And then I really, God kind of got a hold of me and was like, why are you annoyed is it because you're being challenged to do something that you don't want to do that you got to talk to your neighbors you got to invite them to a church thing and that kind of scared me and then I was like seriously you know this is supposed to be about Doug and he's annoying me not about me being challenged to do something that God wants me to do and So, I mean, there is a lot. Like David said, there's still a lot of apprehension, and, you know, we don't really know exactly how all this is going to work out. We have 15 people in our group, and if everybody invites somebody, that's 30 people, and we don't have a house big enough for that. So where do we go? Do we go to a restaurant? Do we go somewhere else? And so we're trying to figure all that stuff out.
0: So why don't you talk just a little bit about that, David? So what are are you thinking you guys might do? Here's one of the reasons I wanted them to come up, because they've caught the vision, and they're beginning to explore how they can – make the vision happen so it's always better when you are running with things more than we're making things happen so
2: he wanted us to tell you we have no clue what we're doing Um, up until yesterday we we fully thought okay we're gonna we're gonna try to use the uh, extra room at Gilbert's on Harper um, for our weekly meeting uh, because we are thinking maybe we'd have 30 people and um, due to some availability issues they they couldn't uh, house us so we're we're kind of looking for another third space type of thing that kind of really uh, piqued our interest about well the fact that you know we have a house that fits maybe five of us comfortably and we have six in our family alone so that um, you know putting all those people in one place you know we really felt that that's something we needed to do and so we're we're looking around and now that we're talking about a third space now we're thinking oh well maybe our 30 people won't fill that up so you know, maybe another small group would want to join with us to do that. Um, If they're a little apprehensive or scared, maybe we can do that, you know, together.
0: Yeah, so one of the places you talked about in the first service was maybe even like Ram's Horn. What I want you to hear is be creative. You know people, you know places, you don't need us to solve all the issues, but if you catch the vision, then stop in at the Ram's Horn or stop in at you know, you talk to Gilberts, and maybe God's going to surprise us, and Gilberts will come up anyway. Um, but I just want you to catch the vision. And I want you to be a part of it because I think God's doing something. So our goal as a church is 500 guests. 500 guests participating in Alpha in one session. That means we're going to have it on Sundays and Tuesdays here at Grace. We're going to have it in people's homes, and we're going to have it in these third spaces. I had a conversation in the hallway this week with somebody who said, you know, is Alpha like a good thing for people who have been burned by the church, for somebody who's just, they've had a bad church experience? I said, it's perfect for that, and even more perfect because you don't have to bring them to church. (laughs) Bring them to Fishbones, like just say, we're doing this thing. We're just going to talk about faith. It's very, it's a, it, it might be one of the safest things we've ever done. Safe is kind of a scary word, but easiest things we've ever done for you to invite your friends. But if we're going to get 500 people there, everyone in this room needs to be praying about who they're going to invite. And, and the video said it's a one to one challenge. I think it's a 10 to one challenge. I think if you really ask God, who are the 10 people that I could invite, did you hear what they said? How many out of 10 will say yes to coming to church if you invite them? Seven, Seven out of 10. That's crazy. We should be inviting our friends. We should be inviting them to this. So I want you to just thank Dave and Jennifer for coming up and sharing a little bit of their vision. Thank you. Blessings. You still work here. It's a good thing. Hey, I want to remind you, um, the run is coming up, the Eagle Sports Club run. This is one of our primary fundraisers. Uh, UAW Ford has given us a $25,000 matching grant. So if we can raise $25,000, they give us $25,000. That's an amazing thing. So some of you, um, maybe you don't want to run or walk. A lot of people walk the race. It's great. It's sponsorship. But maybe today, God puts it in your heart, you just want to sponsor uh, the race. You want to sponsor somebody to run. You can stop back and talk to Terry. Maybe somebody just wants to write the check for $25,000 and UOW will match it. And that's $50,000 to teach more kids to read, which is a pretty powerful thing. So the run's coming up. We'd love for you to participate. Let me just pray. Lord, thank you so much for um, David and Jennifer. Thank you that um, they're excited about Alpha. Thank you for Alpha. What an amazing thing that you've placed in the body uh, for us to use to reach our friends for Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would just catch the vision, that we would be inviting our friends. I know you've laid it on my heart to invite the neighbor that I almost never talk to. We just have niceties across the fence behind the yard. And I just think they're going to come because I think you've laid it on my heart to invite them, and so I just pray that we would be praying. Who, Lord, who do you want me to reach out to? Who do you want me to invite? And uh, we pray for those five hundred guests. We pray that that they would meet you, and that they would um, have that life changing experience of walking with Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm uh, super excited about the series that we're about to uh, launch right now. It's a series that we're calling Pursuit, and the idea of this series. As we go into this busy season, I don't know about if it's that way for all of you, but September comes and it just feels like, man, things, the wheels start to turn and we start to get busier and busier. And we thought it would be an ideal time to, to kind of step back a little bit and ask the question, how do we make time in our lives for God? How do we pursue God in our lives? What do we actually need to do? How do we, how do we find space to grow as, as followers of Christ? Most of this series is kind of centered around, if you will, one central verse, and that's James 4, 7, in the beginning of verse 8. And a lot of you know this verse, but it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. The verse starts with those two words, submit yourselves. So it means that there's something that's required of us it is a, there's a an imperative if you will there's a there's a directive and the directive is is towards us it, it requires that we actually engage we actually show up it, it requires that we submit ourselves the word submit yourselves is actually just one word in the original and and the definition means i submit or willfully place myself into subjection willfully meaning I do it on my own accord, place myself under subjection. Pretty powerful word. Submission is is huge. Earlier this week, I met with the creative arts team, and we met for the better part of uh, the day on Wednesday. And as we started the day, we reflected on the 23rd Psalm. And we read it together, and we talked about it, and we prayed through it together. And uh, most of you know the Psalms, probably the most familiar of all the Psalms. Um, but I want to read it for you. And as I read it for you, I want you to listen to the movement of God. I want you to listen to the benevolence of God, to the love of God. See, see what God is up to in the 23rd Psalm. 23rd Psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What we have here is a psalm of provision, right? We have a psalm of of God's comfort. We have this portrait of of God's love for us. But do you realize that the entire psalm is contingent on the Lord being your shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, and when the Lord is my shepherd, I have all of this flowing to me and and, and available to me. The, the, The God who comforts us, who guides us, who relieves us of our greatest fears. How many of you have some fears and you need God to step into your fears? He places us at the seat of honor. He dwells with us when he's our shepherd. I was meditating on this psalm later in the day, and and I felt like God gave me what I would call my unsalm. And this is the other side of Psalm 23, when I'm my own shepherd, when I do things my own way. And this is my version of Psalm 23, when I'm the shepherd. It says, I am my own shepherd, and I seldom have what I want. I go at a pace that's exhausting The never-ending waves of life crash over me. I will find the path. I will find it, and people will see me. I fear that I'm not good enough or smart enough. I fear death. I feel alone and unsettled. I'm at war with myself, at war with others. There is little peace in my life. Disappointment and bitterness mark all of my days. I am my own shepherd. I am my own quite a contrast before between the two and I think in some ways we can relate to both in some ways we know those seasons of life when we take control and we try to do things our own way and we create havoc and difficulty in our lives and those times in our lives when we surrender to God when we submit ourselves place ourselves under subjection to God and God shows up and God does more than we can ask or imagine and we experience God is a good shepherd we need to know about a God who loves us so much that we can entrust ourselves submit ourselves to him. So James 4 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. So the burden again is on us. The, the movement is on us that we are to submit and we are to resist. We are the primary doers here. We have to be willing to submit ourselves and to resist the devil. Resist doing what you know is wrong. Resist doing uh, what you know is going to bring harm into your life. Resist sin. Resist conversations that you know are going to be detrimental. When we resist, the passage says, the devil flees from us. So the, the counter side of that is when you embrace sin, when you actually engage in sin willfully, it means that the devil embraces you. Something for us to be weary of. Verse 8 of the James passage really is the heart of the whole series that we're calling Pursuit. says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Or if you memorize it like I did as a young boy in the New King James Version, it was draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Or if you were here last week and, and Orflett was preaching and he, and he talked about when you lean into God, when you lean your weight on God, that God leans his weight on you. Draw near to God, come near to God, lean into God, and God leans into you. But my experience with God is that this is not a one-to-one ratio. That it doesn't work like if I take one step towards God, God takes one step towards me. No, the way it works for me is when I take that small step towards God, he covers the distance. He shows up, and he's there. He, whatever that gap is between us, he makes up the difference. It's not a one-to-one formula, but we have to be willing, and the passage is clear, there's something that's required of us. We have to take that step. We have to be willing to move towards God, to resist the devil, to draw near to God, and God will close the gap, and God will draw near to you. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about drawing near to God, pursuing God. The question is, how? How are we going to do that? Well, just a side note, I, I, I think it was God's sovereignty. I'm not sure I'm smart enough to plan all this out. Well, I know I'm not smart enough to plan all this out. Two weeks ago, we talked about the religious spirit. Uh, and it was kind of a, an important moment in the life of the church. And I sent out an email and said, if you weren't here, you need to listen to it. Well, as a matter of fact... Um, We actually copied CDs, so if you haven't heard the the sermon from two weeks ago, the ninth on the religious spirit, I want you to get the CD, and I want you to listen to it. Because if you don't have that understanding, everything we're going to talk about for the next four weeks could be really dangerous for you. Because the truth is, when we start talking about spiritual disciplines, when we start talking about pursuing God, all of that can easily become religious scurrying. It can just become another thing that we do to try to please God. And God is not pleased with our religion, right? So if we talk about spiritual disciplines, all of our spiritual disciplines are supposed to flow out of this understanding of who that is. You know, Jesus came and lived his life, and he died on the cross, and he rose again to give us relationship with God. It's, it's, a, it's this beautiful picture of the love of God, and everything we do is to flow out of the understanding of that, not as a, as a busy activity to earn something from God. So as we move through this series on pursuit, I want you to hold on to that religious spirit conversation because we don't want anything we're doing. We don't want anybody to listen to me today and say, well, Doug said I have to, so I'm going to. That's religion. Well, Doug said I need to do it this way, so I'm going to. What we're really inviting you into is a relationship with a heavenly father that's going to tell you. So as I talk about things today, you can ask God, God, what do you want for me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to engage in what I'm hearing? Make it relational. So what are the disciplines that will help us to draw near to God. Today we're going to talk about fasting. And what I love about talking about fasting is the minute I say it, it like lets the air out of the room. You can almost hear a, a universal groan across the, the room like, great. For many of us, fasting sounds like misery and drudgery. Hey, I want to, um, before I go any further, kind of give props to, uh, there's a pastor out of Chicago, his name is James McDonald. I listened to one of his sermons, really had a big shaping impact on me, and I realized even as I wrote this sermon, there's a lot of his thoughts that came into it. So if you want another resource, just Google James McDonald, Discipline of Fasting, I think is what his sermon is called. Um, you'll hear a lot of similar things, um, but just I want to give him some props because it really had a big impact on me um, hearing that sermon. So fasting, It's scary. It's overwhelming, but I want to encourage you. Um, I have found, personally, fasting to be one of the most impactful uh, spiritual disciplines in my life. Um, It has changed uh, many things for me. It is the most life-giving thing that I do. Um, I've discovered firsthand that, that fasting unleashes the power of God in our lives. Um, Fasting has this way of sifting us or purifying us. Things come to the surface that we don't expect when we really engage in fasting. It's just a a beautiful season to kind of renew ourselves. And I also want to remind you of this. Every spiritual discipline requires some sort of practice. So for some of you, you first started coming to grace, and people started praying around you, and they prayed out loud, and you thought to yourself, I'm just not comfortable with that. Just not comfortable Praying, I'm not even sure I'm comfortable praying on my own, but let alone praying out loud. Well, guess what? As you prayed a little bit more out loud, suddenly you become a little bit more comfortable. You become better at it. Prayer is a spiritual discipline, and most of us had to grow into that and had to understand how to make prayer a, a natural thing. And pretty soon, you pray. And you don't even know you're practicing a spiritual discipline. You're just praying because you've gotten in the habit and you've gotten comfortable with praying. So, so all spiritual disciplines require some sort of practice, even coming here. So I hear this all the time. Well, I came and visited your church, and I was a little bit uncomfortable. The music's not quite what I'm used to. You know, people were standing up, people even raising their hands. I even heard some people say amen. I'm just not used to that, right? So with, but if you stay around here very long, pretty soon— you actually stand up, and you raise your hands, and you might even say amen. Some of you probably aren't there yet. But the whole point is you get more and more comfortable. You get more and more familiar, and in the familiarity, you, you're able to participate. It takes some sort of practice. Well, fasting is the same way. So I talk to people that say, well, I tried fasting. It didn't work for me. Well, that's the silliest thing. Well, I tried praying. I was a little uncomfortable. I don't do it anymore. Right? The idea here is that it's going to require something of us. The more you do it, the more natural it will become, the more comfortable you will become with it. And I I can't think of a better word than comfortable, and I don't particularly like that word because fasting and comfortable don't usually go together. But the more natural um, it will actually be for you. So what I want to do with the the, the time we have left, and just so you know, there is a a fasting guide in your bulletin, I think, good thing for you to read. It'll cover some of the stuff I don't talk about. But I want to kind of answer two questions. Why do we fast? Why do we fast and how do we fast? Or what is a fast and why do we do it? So let's start with the first one. What is a fast? Well, here's the definition of a fast. A fast is to abstain from all food or to eat only sparingly. Glad it has that second part in there. Or of certain kinds of food, especially as a religious observation. So this is the literal definition of a fast. To abstain from all food or eating only sparingly or certain types of food uh, as a religious Observance. So what I want you to hear is that the strict definition of a fast always deals with food. You know, if you see the word fast in the Bible, it will always be related to food. So what we've done is we've expanded the meaning of fasting in our own culture and the way we go at it. So when we talk about fasting, people often talk about the other things they might fast. Well, I think I might fast TV, or I'm going to fast social media, or I'm going to not drink alcohol for these 40 days, or I'm not going to smoke for these 40 days, or, you know, we come up with all kinds of of creative things. I'm going to do a reading plan, which just so you know, adding something isn't fasting something. Not that you should not have a reading plan, but I'm just I'm just letting you know that's not what we're after here. And what I do want you to see is that there's something about food and fasting. And so as we challenge you about fasting, I don't want you to to ignore the other things God might be putting on your heart. But I, but I don't want you to say, well, I'm not going to do anything with food. I'm going to because there's something about food that gets to the to the heart of things, if you if you know what I mean. So why do we fast? One of the things that, that sermon by James McDonald, one of the things he said is he said in his sermon, really the main point he made was, we have little hunger for God. And when he said that, I thought to myself, I don't know if I, I buy that. As a matter of fact, I think I was a little bit offended by it. We have little hunger for God. But the more he talked and the more I thought about it, the more I think he's absolutely right. So let me ask you a question. Are you as hungry for God as you are for a good meal? The truth is, most of us in this room cannot really relate to hunger. We really don't know what it means to be truly hungry. I am uh, prone to say on a regular occasion, man, I'm starving. You know, I've never actually been starving, ever in my life have I been starving. But I use that phrase, and we use it literally. But you know why I'm never starving? Because when I'm hungry, I eat. I have access to whatever I need, and and so I feel that little tiny twinge, and sometimes it's really tiny, or I'm bored, which is another sermon for another day, but whatever the reason, something's going on inside of me, and I get a snack, or I go to the refrigerator, and I start a meal, or I say, Meg, can we eat a little bit earlier? I said it yesterday. I, I didn't have much for lunch. Can we have dinner a little bit earlier? I, I just find a way to eat, right, because I feel hungry, so I so I eat. If you know Meg and I, if you, if you follow any of my family on on Facebook, then you know that we are um, self-proclaimed foodies. We love to experience new foods. We love to experience new restaurants. we love to, to eat things we've never had before. Um, and Meg is an, an amazing and awesome, and I choose those words purposefully cook. I, she just she's a fabulous cook. My daughter, Casey is a pastry chef. I'm always working on my weight, go figure. but, but food is important to our house. Our vacations center around food. When we're at dinner on vacation, we're talking about where we're having dinner tomorrow. (laughs) I know, you laugh, it's true. We're planning our vacation. We actually will take a different route to go on vacation because we've heard of a restaurant or we know of a restaurant. We're following restaurants on Yelp or this restaurant was on TV, let's go there. Food is an important thing and I'm not, so I'm not bashing food. Food is a part of what we do. What I am saying is I'm pretty intentional about eating. I am very intentional when I'm hungry or when I feel that nudge of getting something to eat. The question is, are you as likely to run to God to be filled when you see me you, you think you have some sort of need as you are to run to the refrigerator when you feel that nudge of hunger? We have little hunger for God. Is our need for God as real and as important to us as our need for food? That person is not very happy. When we are hungry, we pursue food, but are we deliberate in pursuing God? The truth of the matter is our chronic lack of pursuit confirms we have little hunger for God. Here's what I want you to see. When we fast, when we go without food, and that's what we're talking about today. There's something supernatural that takes place, and I can't explain it, but I know it's there. But, but God uses that to show us our hunger for God and actually increase our hunger for God. So, so we fast because it's a way of drawing near to God, and we fast because it increases our hunger for God. I don't know why. I don't know what it's all about. What I know to be true experientially and biblically is that when you fast, God will increase your hunger for God. So this is what happens. If you fast and God increases your hunger for God, you may find that you don't want to watch TV during your fast. Not because you're fasting TV, but you're having this experience with God. There's some, You're more attuned to the things of God, and you don't want to interrupt that. You don't want to sit in front of the TV and watch some sitcom because, you know, there's something going on. I'm I'm having a clearer understanding of God in my life, and I don't want anything to get in the way of it. You're almost like more focused. So so there's things you're going to do. Guess what else? You're probably going to be drawn to the scriptures more, and you may actually even do a reading plan. But your reading plan isn't to fast. Your reading plan is coming out of this attunement, this new hunger for God. I want more. God's doing something to me. I want more of it. So you're devouring the word of God. But it's because of the fast and because God is stirring something inside of you. So we fast because we can draw near to God. It's a way of being intentional, drawing near to God, because it increases our hunger for God. And because it's a way of putting God first. What I need you to understand is that in each one of us there is a finite, not infinite, but a finite, meaning limited amount of pursuit in all of us. Everything I re- pursue requires something of me, right? If I'm going to pursue something, I have to give energy to it. I have to give attention to it. I have to give mental thought, physical activity to it. So everything you pursue requires something. So if, if, if your entire life you only have X amount of pursuit in you, this is how it would play out. So let's just assume that, that one of your pursuits in life is food. 100%. Everything you do in life is to pursue food. Now, I know that's not realistic, but there's the pie chart, 100%. But but what if we decided to add um, career to that? Well, then we could pursue 50-50, right? I can pursue my, my job, and I can work on that, and I can pursue food, and now i got 50% of my 100% of all my pursuits. I can give 50% to each, each one of them. But if I add my hobbies in there, now I only can do 33%. Well, you know, we could maybe change the pie a little bit, but, it, but we're sharing it. But, but what if I add marriage? Well, that's going to take some time. That's going to take some energy. I do have kids, so I should put them in there because you got to pursue a relationship with your kids. That's a good thing, right? We'd all agree right? And, and, we, and we tell you all the time, you need to live in community, so friendships should be in there. And it's good that we have entertainment in our lives, so we're going to have to pursue a little bit of entertainment for sure, and money. Got to have money, finances, so we pursue money. And then, and then we think, well, of course we should add God in there, right? So this is what our lives end up looking like, but can I tell you what that's a picture of? That's a picture of idolatry. So the way you know, if this is your paradigm, you, you want to know how you know if that's your life paradigm? If you find yourself regularly not having time for God because of your hobbies, because of your marriage, because of your kids, because of your entertainment, because of your need for finances, because of your career, if that piece of the pie keeps getting smaller and smaller and actually sometimes even gets squeezed out. I meant to read my Bible today, but I just didn't get, I meant to, to talk to God today, but it, I was just so busy. That's the paradigm most of us live in, and that is idolatry. And you know what the scripture says? Well, here's what I want you to think about. Are those bad things? No, they're not bad things at all. They're good things. But can good things become idols in our lives? Can your kids become an idol? For sure. Can your marriage become an idol? And this is just a, a good way to look at it. But there's a whole different paradigm we need to, to have in our lives. And the paradigm is that we need to pursue God, with everything we have, we need to be in an absolute pursuit towards God. God gets 100% of our pursuit, and you know what will happen? God will change your relationships. God will change your desires. It actually says that God will will give you the desires of your heart. It basically means that he's going to change the desires of your heart. He's going to change your marriage. He's going to change your Does it mean we don't pursue any of those things anymore? No, it means that the pursuit of those things comes out of our pursuit of God. When we have this paradigm, then God doesn't get squeezed out. God becomes the very heart of our marriage, the very heart of our career. You know, when you pursue God, God actually changes your desire for food. God actually changes your diet when you are focused on God. So all of these things change. And this is an integral part of of the paradigm that we need to live in. So what I'm saying to you is when you fast, it is an intentional way of putting God first and allowing God to teach you something about the other areas of your life. It's an intentional way of putting God first. Why do we fast? Because it's a way of drawing near to God, because it increases our hunger for God, because it's a way of putting God first. And because it reveals who you really are. So I don't know who wrote this. Um, I know the first time I ever decided to really fast, um, I read three or four books. And one of the books I read, the author said, who you are when you fast is who you really are. Now, I hate that because it's true. But it's truth. And it reminds me of this commercial. Commercial.
1: Can we turn the AC up? I'm dying back here. It's on. Can't you feel it? Can you feel that? Oh. <laughs> Jeff, eat a Snickers, please. Why? Every time you get hungry, you turn into a diva. Just eat it so Ooh. we can all coexist. I turn into a diva. Mm-hmm. In your system, cranky pants. Okay. Thank you.
0: Better? Better. Will you get your knees out of the back of my seat? Oh. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Yeah. You know why we laugh at that commercial? Because it's truth. Because we all know we're not, you're not you when you're hungry, but I got news for you. You're more you when you're hungry than when you're full. Who you are when you're fasting is who you really are. And we're told that we're supposed to have the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the Snickers. Right? So I brought a few Snickers just for souvenirs. Anybody want a Snicker? Nobody? There you go. You got it? One more? Right into the light. Ah! Here's the deal. Our personalities should not change because we have a Snickers. We are to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the, the Snickers. And if you find yourself really short and grouchy, During a fast, it's a great time to go back to the Lord and say, God, what's going on? Search my heart and and show me if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Something boils to the surface. You want to know what's really below the surface? Just miss a couple meals and everyone in your house will know what's right below the surface. It comes out. And who you are when you're fasting is who you really are. And here's the deal. I am not a nice person when I'm hungry. Meg sometimes just says to me, are you hungry? which is code for you are being a jerk, right? Are, do you need something to eat? Here, have a Snickers. We don't do Snickers, but if we did, that's what he said. And, and God says to me, really, really, you, you can't be gentle? You can't be kind? You can't be patient and be hungry? It's, it reveals what's really going on in my spirit. So there's something that happens when we go without food that gets to some of the core stuff in our lives. Remember I said it's a, it's a sifting sort of a revealing time, and, and there's something about fasting that, that draws that stuff up to the surface so that we can get away from it. So we do, we fast because it's a way of being intentional, of drawing near to God. It increases our hunger for God. It puts God first because it reveals who we really are. And we fast because It's biblical. Jesus said in, in Mark 2.20, he said the time's going to come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. What he's saying is the time's going to come when I'm going to die on the cross, I'm going to rise from the dead, then I'm going to go and ascend and be with the Father, and I'll be gone. And when that happens, my disciples will fast. And why are they going to fast? Because they're fasting to experience the presence of God, to have more of a hunger for God, the very things we're talking about. But the words that Jesus says is, when the bridegroom leaves, my disciples will fast. He doesn't say they might fast. If they feel like fasting, they, they'll fast, or they could fast. What he says is they will fast. Matthew 16, Jesus gives instructions on how to fast. Good things for you to go to and read today, maybe even as you think about fasting. But Jesus is saying, you know, there's a way to fast, right? And there's a way to fast wrong. But you know what he's not saying? He never says, if you think about fasting, if you, if you might consider fasting, he says, when you fast, fast like this. So the interesting thing is that Jesus just has this assumption, this this implication that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will fast. So if you do a word search, if you know what a concordance is, if you have a Bible, a study Bible in the back, you can look up any word and it tells you every time that word shows up in the scripture. Well, look up the word fast and fasting. And if you throw out all the times it says hold fast to something and just go with the food related fast you will see that fasting is in the old testament all the way through the old testament you'll see fasting in the gospel writing matthew mark luke and john and you will see fasting in the epistles all there's fasting from from end to end so it's a biblical thing think about this jesus fasted to prepare for ministry maybe we need to think about that Moses fasted when he received the law. Daniel fasted for a greater connection and clarity from God, something that we've already talked about. Esther and all of the Jews fasted when they came under persecution, so they fasted for protection. Ezra called for a corporate fast, all of the Jews to come together to fast. Peter was fasting on a rooftop when God gave him a vision, which happened to do with food, interestingly enough, and told him that the gospel was supposed to go to Gentiles, but it was during a fast that God showed up to Peter. Jehoshaphat fasted for better understanding of what God wanted. Elijah fasted and during his fast, he received a very important word from the Lord. Uh, Joseph fasted while he was in prison. David fasted and cried out to God to spare his sixth son. And Solomon humbled himself and fasted. Fasting is biblical. And think about what, it just, what I just said about Solomon. It said Solomon humbled himself and fasted. In Psalm 69, David said, I humbled myself and fasted. Fasting is an intentional way of of humbling yourself we have this little cliche that you sometimes hear is you know the scriptures when it talks about humility over and over the scriptures talk about humbling yourself and you can humble yourself where God can humble you I'm here to tell you it's much more pleasant to humble yourself than to allow God to humble you but we are called to humble ourselves which also means we're not called to humble our neighbor which sometimes we think it's our job to keep our friends humble well I'm just trying to keep you humble you know you were kind of a jerk there and that's not our job. Our job is to humble yourself before the Lord. Well, guess what? One of the ways to humble yourself is to fast. Because when you have something, when you have access to something, when, when God has given you access to something, and you willfully say, God, I know that you've given me food. Food is not a bad thing. Food is a necessary thing. But when you willfully give up something that God has given you as a way of giving back to God, it is a way of humbling yourself. And the scriptures say we are to Humble ourselves before the Lord. Solomon fasted to humble himself. David fasted to humble himself. So we fast because it's an intentional way of drawing near to God. It increases our hunger for God. It puts God first. It reveals who we really are. That's still my least favorite one because it's biblical, because it's a way to humble ourselves. And lastly, we fast because we discover a new form of food. Grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. Some of you are wondering if we're going to use the Bible today. We are. John chapter 4. So just put this in context, Jesus has just started this long walk from Judea to Galilee. Uh, When we were in Israel just a few weeks ago, that was about a, I think about a a four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour bus ride. So in my mind, it's here to Chicago. It's actually a little bit less than that. But in my mind, that's a pretty long walk. If we're going to set out to go for a walk, we're going to walk from here. We don't have to get to Chicago. we're just going to get most of the way to Chicago, that's a long walk. Well, that's the walk that that Jesus and his disciples have decided to go on. And, And normally they even go a longer way, and they go around this town or this area called Samaria because the Samaritans were considered unclean. They were considered unsafe. Actually, it was a classic form of racial prejudice. And Jesus wants nothing to do with racial prejudice then or now. And so he goes through Samaria which was just unheard of, right? So when he's going through Samaria, they get to this place called Jacob's Well. This is actually a picture of the well Um, we visited. Actually, Jacob's Well, which I I find to be so amazing. This is the well. Now, the well was outside. Now it's built, a church is built around it. But Jesus sat there. that the coolest thing? Jesus sat there. He drank from that well. So when you read that story and, and, you know, the story that I'm referring to and the woman draws water for him and, and he drinks from the well, it was one of my favorite places to visit. But that's Jacob's Well. So that's the context. They're walking through. They stop at the well. So look at verse six. It says, "Jacob's well was there." And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, tired as he was walking all the way to Chicago, doesn't say that in there. I just added that. He sat down by the well. It was about noon. So they're also saying it's pretty much the heat of the day. It's 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 Israel's a hot place. Up and down hills, long long walk. He sits down to rest. Verse seven says, "When a Samaritan woman came to draw water." Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Two things that that tells us. A, he was by himself, so it was pretty scandalous for him to have a conversation with a woman at all, let alone a Samaritan woman, let alone a Samaritan woman that didn't have an all-too-nice of a background. So Jesus was breaking all the rules, because that's what Jesus did a lot, is break the rules. Man's rules, not God's rules. So anyway... Right, his disciples have gone in town to buy some food. The disciples leave. Jesus has this long conversation. Here's the deal: Jesus sat down to rest. Did he get any rest? Apparently not, because somebody came and had a need, and Jesus stepped into his needs, right? So into her needs. So Jesus sits down to rest. Doesn't get any rest. Has this long conversation. That's really not the point of where we're going today. It's another sermon for another day. But look all the way down to verse 31. The woman goes back into town. She becomes the first, one of the first missionaries ever. Jesus sends her back into town. She tells everybody about the man who knew everything she did. In verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. And I love this because the disciples are like, Could someone have brought him food? Has this guy been holding out? Did he have food in his backpack all along? What's he doing? How come he has food? We, uh, we didn't give him food. How could he possibly have food? I mean, they're just totally perplexed, right? And so what does he say? He says, My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Here's the point Jesus is making. There is more to life than food. There is a food that we can only partake in when we do the will of the Father. And when you fast, when you truly fast from food, when you lean into the Spirit of God, you discover that there is literally a nutritional sustenance that comes when you lean on God in the time of fasting. That God actually provides what you need to do what you need to do. God actually steps into that. There is a food that you discover that is a new form of sustenance. You cannot discover this apart from fasting. The question is, Are you hungry enough to fast? Do you desire more of God? Are you willing to pursue the things of God? It sounds like a rhetorical question, but it isn't. Do you really want all God has for you and all that's going to require of you? Here's what I believe. I believe for most of us, we want just enough of God to feel better. We want just enough of God to do what He needs to do, but not to really mess with us. We actually would like to be our own shepherds, but have enough of God so that we feel good about it. There's an author, he wrote a poem some time ago, Wilbur Reese, and he captured this sentiment in the poem that I'm going to read for you. It's called Three Dollars Worth of God. He says, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of eternity in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. The elders at Grace are asking the family of Grace to fast for 30 days starting Tuesday, September 1st. I am asking everyone in this room to participate in a fast. A corporate fast because God desires to do more than we can ask or imagine, And this is an opportunity for us to join our house together and to cry out to God to do something that we've never seen on this corner. So somebody asked me after this first service, are you telling me I can't eat for th- three days? I'm not telling you any of that. What I'm asking you is, would you ask Jesus? Would you ask God, God, I want to participate in this fast. I want to be a part of what God is doing. What do you want me to do? And if God tells you to to do this fast, and do that fast. Decide beforehand what you're going to do, and then do it, because you want all that God has for you, because you have more of a hunger for God than you do for hunger for Snickers. The question is, do we want $3 worth of God, or do we want all of him? No matter how disruptive no matter how uncomfortable it makes us, no matter how much it stretches us. Not $3, but all of them. Lord, I just ask that you would guide us as we as a church set out on this corporate fast, 30 days of fasting, just just the month, month of September. Lord, would you show us what you would have each one of us do? Thank you for just how you've been speaking to me about what you want me to do for the next 30 days. Lord, would you guide us? Would you direct us? And would you show up in ways that we can't even ask or imagine? I pray that that we would discover a newfound hunger for you, that you would unleash your spirit in this place in a way that we've never seen before. I pray that through this fasting, that the people who are bound in captivity would be, be set free because of the movement of your spirit. I just, I'm thinking of the people right now who are just admired in difficulties and it's just demonic. Lord, would you just give us Give us a movement of your spirit to set people free. There are marriages and struggle. So much going on, Lord. Would you just use this time to prepare us? And Lord, would you use this time to get us ready for those 500 guests that you're going to bring when they come to Christ and lives will be changed? Lord, help us to be the church you've called us to be at Moros 994. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to fast. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that's done the work on the cross to give us such a sweet relationship with a father that loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. I see many of you at a movie in just a couple hours. If you bought a ticket, we'll see you there. I actually have two tickets. Wait. I do not have two tickets. My wife told me between the service she gave away. Never mind. I don't have two tickets. I had two tickets after the first service. So anyway, we'll see you at the movies. God bless you. We'll with-